Hello again, welcome to another episode of the Uranium Market Minute. Today is Tuesday, June 28th, and this is episode number 144. My name is Justin Hewn. I am your host. I'm the founder and publisher of the Uranium Insider Pro Newsletter, the only investing newsletter that focuses solely on uranium and publishes on a regular monthly basis. As always, nothing that you see or hear in this podcast is intended to be investing advice. I'm not your financial advisor. This is not financial advice. Please always do your own due diligence when it comes to investing and always take responsibility for your own choices. All right, good to be back with you all today. Again, um, if you are a fan of this channel and you haven't already, please subscribe, um, like the video, hit the notification bell. You will be reminded whenever we publish a new episode on YouTube, which is almost every single day. And of course, this is also streaming on Apple Podcasts. We're working on getting it on Spotify as well, as well as possibly Rumble or Podbean, et cetera. Um, we do appreciate all of you, definitely. So thank you very, very much for your support and all of the enthusiastic comments. I do my best to at least like them, if not respond when I'm able. Um, that is an increasingly difficult challenge due to the growing size of the channel and the growing demands on my time. However, I do read the comments at the very least. So thank you. And thanks for all of the uh, levity. I do appreciate it, especially in the uh, periods of time like this when the market is uh, not exactly favorable. It's always good to have some uh, some laughter and some lightheartedness around it. Um, had a pretty nasty day in the market today, although we didn't really decouple to the downside, really kind of was just in line with uh, a pretty bad day in the S&P. Uh, so we'll look at the charts in just a second. Not a whole lot to report in the daily scoreboard, but we'll go through it anyways. And then I'm going to talk a bit about um, a headline that came out from the G7 meeting that was today, uh, the headline that came out today. So I'm going to discuss that in the mailbag section. I think it's important to understand potential implications for this um, bifurcating market that we're witnessing right in front of our eyes here. Let's start, uh, jump right into the daily scoreboard here. Spot price of uranium is slightly down, just a few pennies today. Not really a whole lot going on there, although we have seen, all things considered, some pretty decent moves in the spot market with spot basically out of the market. So that's kind of curious. Yesterday, again, SPUT obviously did not issue any new shares or raise any cash because they're still at a significant discount to NAV, close to 10% as of yesterday's close, 9.77%. Uh, they're probably back above a 10% discount to NAV or below, I should say, after today's trading action. They've got $65 million in the in the treasury, still currently in cash. Maybe they'll deploy a little bit of that, but really not a whole lot going on there until we see more flows come into SPUT. Yesterday, URA had uh, reported 470,000 shares redemption uh, redeemed. URNM reported no change in outstanding shares. That was about six and a half million in mandated selling coming from URA's share redemption. Um, let's go ahead and take a look at the charts. Starting off as usual with URA down 1.7% on the day. Um, not too bad considering the weak tape in the broad market, still hovering right around that uh, lower trend line. Um, another couple of legs down here, and we're clearly going to lose that lower trend line within the Livermore accumulation cylinder. But with that aside, this is a short-term bearish chart. We are trading below a now turning downward 200-day moving average. That's kind of the definition of at least short-term bearish, in my opinion. We need to get back above that trend line, back into a, an area where we see the moving averages moving back up, especially the long-term moving average, the 200-day. However, if we do look at this uh, declining action in the stock price, coupled with declining volume, uh, I always like to see that increasing volume on the way up, decreasing on the way down. I've mentioned that ad nauseum. So uh, really not a whole lot happening here enthusiastically in either direction. 
It looks to me like the market is still waiting either for one of two things, a catalyst that will bring funds flowing into the sector in greater volume than we're seeing now, and or a pivot in the markets, generally speaking, because the fundamentals for this sector, as I've mentioned over and over, are clearly very, very positive. Cameco up down a little bit, 1.6% uh, on the day. Um, it's also declining volume here, not really enthusiastic selling here, just kind of exhausted traders. I think, you know, these choppy markets can really chop people apart. And what happens is you end up over trading. This is something I've been guilty of in the past. I've mentioned in previous podcasts that uh, I do have multiple accounts, right? So I have, I have an account where I have long-term fundamental-based investments that I basically don't touch for a very long period of time. Usually that's years. Um, that account, I currently have primarily uranium stocks in there, but there's a few others. Um, and that account actually is doing far better than a smaller account that I have for trading. And I do that just to keep myself busy. Um, I like to trade options. Um, so while I do have some options plays in my longer term account, the shorter term account, I tend to trade more just to kind of keep myself busy and keep my mind off of, um, you know, markets when they're weak. And so this background trading account where it is essentially buy and hold is vastly, vastly outperforming in a longer term time frame, the trading account. Uh, so, but I think that part of that has to do with the fact that I'm not messing with it. And part of the reason for that is that I have another account, smaller balances in that I utilize just to keep myself busy. With that said, trading choppy markets tends to chop people apart, especially when we have something um, so juxtaposed as fundamentals for a number of sectors compared to the short-term implications of recession, implications of um, risk off in the markets, the Fed raising rates into a recession, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, all of that said, these choppy markets can be difficult. And uh, for the most part, what really helps me is A, have multiple accounts, B, look at weekly charts, zoom out a little bit, you know, looking at the choppy action, Cameco, Cameco actually holding up better than most stocks in the space. But if we zoom out to a weekly chart, um, then we can, we can really see, kind of get some perspective on this stock. And we, then we see really, where is this trend? Uh, the trend is clearly up uh, over the last couple of years, clearly up in volume. All things considered, long-term, this chart is still in very bullish territory with all of the moving averages, long-term moving averages, the 200-week, even the 50-week moving up, and we're trading well above that 200-week. So we've got a long ways to go in this bull market. This is just something that we need to get through in the short term. Why don't we look at the miners relative to the metal, URNM relative to the S&P. Now, I mentioned that we had just printed kind of an undercut low in this relative performance chart. This is a chart I like to look at just about every day, just to kind of see how we are. Today, we were basically flat trading in line, essentially in parity with the SPX. Uh, so really, we're just chopping around with that broad market in a longer term outperformance of the broad market, which we are still um, trending in that direction. That's always good to see. Lastly, let's look at Sprott Physical Uranium Trust, trading down 2.38% on the day, Spot price slipping slightly, so we are definitely back over that 10% discount to NAV. This is a very large discount to NAV. Um, I did highlight this, uh, this positive divergence in the RSI across multiple stocks in the space, and we're still seeing that here for SPUT. Um, we moved, bounced off of that. Now we're trending back. We'll have to see how that goes. 
I don't think we're going to see a huge discount to NAV for SPUT. I believe that we've hit around that 15-ish, 16%, I think was the most extreme discount to NAV that we've seen for that vehicle. So can that happen again? Of course it can. Will it go further than that? That's unlikely in my opinion. So what, I, what probably will happen if we see that big of a discount to NAV is we'll see some downward pressure on the spot price. But so far, the spot market is holding up quite well. And even with uh, you know the spot vehicle chopping a bit here, but the spot price has been moving up, which has steepened that discount to now for the spot vehicle. Okay, mailbag section. So somebody reached out to me this morning to share a headline with me and uh, Quakes posted about this. Uh, a number of people posted about this, um, but really uh, what we saw today was an article from Forbes G7 closing communique. Basically they are saying, we will further reduce reliance on civil nuclear and related goods from Russia, including working to help countries diversify their supplies. That's a quote from this article. Now, the G7, you're probably familiar with. If not, this is the Group of Seven, Intergovernmental Political Forum. This is Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, the UK, and the US. And they are basically, they came together uh, this week, and they're saying they need to do, they need to act to reduce reliance on Russia. And that's, if that isn't obvious at this point, I don't know what is. Um, but their specific uh, mentioning of civil nuclear. So Russia has the world's largest export program and an export book. Now, how that is changing, I don't know. We do know that Finland has already canceled a scheduled build. They basically, you know, force majeure said, yeah, we're not doing this. Um, they had a deal for, to, for Russia to build a reactor in Finland, and they pulled out of that deal. Um, Russia exports reactors. What does that mean? That means that they will make a deal with um, another foreign country. They will deal with all of the uh, pre-construction, let's say bureaucratic red tape. They will actually build the plant. They will train the staff. They will provide the staff. They'll provide the fuel for the life of the reactor, and they will decommission the reactor and deal with the waste. It's a one-stop shop. It's a great deal. But clearly, um, I think that the world is seeing how Putin can use energy as a weapon and not wanting to uh, deal with that. So reduce reliance on those civil nuclear programs. Another way that they're doing that is there's plenty of countries in the quote unquote West, especially in Eastern Europe that have Russian design reactors that have a special type of fabricated fuel. Now Westinghouse has made this uh, reactor fuel in the past. And recently we did see a news story that they will be making that fuel. I believe it was for some reactors in the Ukraine that are of Russian design. So uh, now we're seeing Western company provide that fabricated fuel that pre previously only Russia was providing. Um, basically, I'm highlighting this news story just to say that it's in looking increasingly likely. In fact, it's probably already here that we have a bifurcated market in the uranium fuel cycle. So what, you're, what Russia is being able to produce in terms of U308, in terms of conversion, uh, UF6, and in terms of enrichment, that is likely only going to, going to be sold to the East. This is primarily at this point, China and Russia, especially when it comes to nuclear products. Um, it'll be curious to see if the BRICS uh, countries will be included in that. So that's Brazil, Russia, India, um, China, and now we've just, and South America, uh, South Africa, excuse me. And now we just saw a headline the other day that Iran and Argentina both applied to be part of the BRICS. Very curious how that will how that will turn out. Um, Argentina Argentina has a couple of reactors. I believe that they're can-do reactors. They run on natural uranium, um, not enriched uranium. But um, 
very interesting to see this market bifurcating. So now what we see currently is we see the West seeking out Western supply. Now the West has uh, has the bulk of the uh, the majority of the actual nuclear energy production, but they have a minority in terms of not a minority, but they don't have the major player in conversion enrichment, which is Russia. So Russia is in the high 30th percentile of conversion, low 40th percentile of enrichment. With that being cut off from the West, it's creating uh, a pinch across the fuel cycle. I've talked about that over and over in previous episodes. So I won't get into that at the moment, but the market is bifurcating here. And it's creating an unbelievable um, constraint on the fuel cycle, much higher prices, overfeeding of, of enrichment facilities in the West. And that is going to continue. In fact, we are likely to see that continue for a number of years until we have expanded capacity of enrichment in the West. That is going to take a while to produce. So in the meantime, what I'm seeing based on this bifurcated market is the West, which makes up the bulk of the nuclear energy uh, production, is going to be dealing with Western production of all elements of the fuel cycle. And this crunch in terms of the Western production of the fuel cycle is going to align with an eventual return to risk being back on in the financial markets. And we're going to see a resumption of funds flowing into the uranium equities, into SPUT, into the ETFs, SPUT buying um, in the spot market, which is less than 12 months so far, they've been buying everything within a 90 day period of settlement. If they continue to do that, while we see uh, demand coming back to the U308 market from utilities, once they have figured out exactly how they can procure conversion and enrichment, that is a really good point that uh, my friend Chapman, uh, Chapman Scarborough, he's on Twitter. Um, very sharp young man. And he he mentioned that he thinks that the utilities are likely waiting out uh, contracting for U308 until they know that they have certain SWU capacity. And I would add to that, that uh, conversion capacity would be uh, also there. So why uh, contract for U308 if you uh, cannot get it converted and enriched? Now there is sufficient capacity, but in the very, very short term, there is not. So Utilities are working that out first because that's the, the, the later part of the fuel cycle. And most utilities are covered in the short term with their inventories. So once that is sorted out, that demand is going to come into the U308 market. And I sort of posit this theory that that demand could coincide with a resumption of risk in the financial markets. If that is the case, I think that the likelihood of an extremely explosive move to the upside for U308 is very, very high. Um, how soon is that coming? That's difficult to tell. Um, I don't think, I think that the risk coming back into the markets is likely to come before demand for the U308 really hits for utilities, but I could be wrong on that. I think that that happens this year. I think we see a much higher physical uranium price in the spot market by the end of the year. That's, that's what I'm thinking here. And on that note, I'm gonna make a couple of other short points here. John Quakes on Twitter, at Quakes99, you all know who he is. He tweeted a story out of Japan today that says the Prime Minister Kishida said Tuesday, that's today, that his government will use nuclear reactors to maximum extent possible to supply electricity as a scorching heat wave strains Japan's power grid. Quote, we will work steadily to speed up reviews. So what does he mean by reviews? It's like, how about speeding up restarts? Well, there's... 
um, what is it, something like 14 or 15 reactors that are in the process of restarting that are under review. So all of the reactors in Japan are following Fukushima, the ones that did not get permanently decommissioned have gone through very, very lengthy review processes. These processes have, in many cases, forced the reactors to bolster their safety mechanisms and their redundancies. And now the reactors that are closer to being restarted, that are going through, let's say, those final stages of review, well, the Prime Minister of Japan is saying, we've got an energy crisis, we have a heat wave hitting us, we need this energy, we are going to speed up the review process, especially now, he's the newly elected Prime Minister, and he has the bulk, uh, the majority of the country, of the public, in favor of restarting nuclear. So Japan is accelerating this, and you can add that to the pile <laughs> add that to the overfeeding, uh, creating U3 de uh, demand, add that to the eventuality of financial interest coming back into the space. It's just all stacking on top of each other. It, it's really quite something. One last note, I'm going to put a link in the show notes in the description of the, of the channel here of this episode, a link to PI Financial's uh, replay of a conference that they recently had and what you should at very least watch is the keynote speech by, uh, by um, the trade tech CEO. And gosh, I'm forgetting her name right now. This is terrible. But um, that is going to be in the, in the link below. And I highly suggest that you watch that. That's your homework for the night. So please do register for that replay of that um, webinar and watch that. Treva Klingbell. Uh, the CEO of, of, of Trade Tech. And she's very, very sharp. Always, Trade Tech always does a great job, puts together an, an impressive presentation. And if you don't know who Trade Tech is, they are one of the prominent nuclear fuel consultants. Trade Tech and UXC, I think, are the two most prominent. Trade Tech tends to have more, I mean, I don't want to say bullish, but in my opinion, more realistic price forecasts and forecasts on supply and demand going forward. We've yet to really see UXC adjust their numbers and adjust their forecasting to um, account for the very recent switch to overfeeding on enrichment. Um, that's going to create a huge, huge swing in the supply and demand forecasts. And uh, gosh, I, I can't even tell you how, how bullish that this is going forward, but um, I'm loving this. I'm loving this juxta juxtaposition of the weak markets. And all of this just stacking up in the background, just the pressure building. It's super exciting. All right. Thank you so much for watching. Do appreciate all of you. And uh, like I mentioned, please click the link in the description, watch that. And if you are not uh, a member of Uranium Insider Pro, we do have our newsletter for July coming out on Tuesday, July 5th. That is the second trading day of the month that will be delivered to your inbox. If you are a member, an hour before the open on Tuesday morning. If you're not a member and you want to get an idea about the type of content we put out in these monthly newsletters, there's another link in the description and you can get a free sample of a previous month's newsletter. Of course, you can reach out to us if you have any questions about our service. All right. Be well. Take care. I will see you again tomorrow. Cheers.